0: This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. TL
1: Talk Radio, Season 4, Episode 24. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 24 of TL Talk Radio, a regular podcast with Lynn funy and Randy Ziganfoos, where our goal is to engage you in learning, motivate you to share your work, and inspire you to lead for the change we need in schools for the digital age. I'm Randy Ziganfoos,
2: And I'm Lynn funy Hello, Randy.
1: Good afternoon, Lynn.
2: So today, we're speaking with Rose Colby, author of Competency-Based Education, A New Architecture for K-12 Schooling. And Rose is the co-author. She's a competency-based learning and assessment specialist and serves as a national advisor and contributor to CompetencyWorks.org. And Randy and I have utilized that resource many times. Yes. Uh, Rose is a fellow at Two Revolutions, where she coaches schools and districts nationally in developing prototypes for the future of learning and competency education. She's been the principal in residence of the New England League of Middle Schools, principal-in-residence New Hampshire school administrators leading with technology Bill and Linda Gates Foundation, and a former secondary school principal and high school biology and chemistry teacher. So she certainly brings a lot of experience to this. Um, She's shared many times at national conferences and forums on competency-based learning and digital learning.
1: Welcome to TL Talk Radio, Rose.
2: Thank you, Randy. I appreciate it.
1: We are uh, really excited to talk about competency-based education because... Um, As you can see from the questions later on, um, it's part of what we have as a profile of a graduate and a direction that we want to move in, but there are lots of challenges. So um, we've we've, uh, learned a lot from reading your book and we want to learn even more from having this conversation with you today. So let's start off with uh, competency-based education, a new architecture for K-12 schooling. So what was the big idea that you wanted to communicate to uh, other educators?
2: Well, I think
3: it, it really has developed into, a, into the big idea of what competency education is. Um, our work in New Hampshire uh, began 12 years ago in competency education, where it was really uh, through policy, state-level policy, that high schools uh, needed to grant credit for high school courses based on a student's mastery of course competencies. So um, if you think about that, the number of courses that a student takes, teachers had to engage and actually write competencies for those courses. Um, The State Department of Education at that time didn't really give very much guidance on what a competency was or what mastery looked like. So there was a lot of confusion in the field. um, And as I became engaged with the Department of Ed um, and working with districts who are trying to work through those issues, um, I think a clearer picture uh, came, came to bear around what competency actually does look like when a student applies their learning, because that really is the the uh, proof point for competency is when you can apply what you know, not just learn it, but apply mm-hmm. it. So with that early beginning, um, uh, it seemed to make sense that those uh, schools and districts that engaged in the work deeply, because uh, when you just think about course competencies, you have to think about, well, what are the units in those courses? How do, how do you write good competencies? Um, how do you assess those competencies? It, it, bigger questions emerged um, as we were doing this work, and we actually learned how to do it by doing the work. Uh, and that, I think, is a real uh, lesson I've learned um, in professional learning. Uh, you don't necessarily need to get trained up to do something. You need to apply your, that art and science of teaching right? And, and your knowledge to be a learner yourself as you do this work. So I think what happened as we started looking at, well, this isn't just about high school. We don't want to have kids walk out of middle school um, and then walk into high school and have a whole different set of uh, walking papers for them, different ways to learn in their classes, different ways to grade them. What's a competency? I didn't know about these before I came to high school. Um, does it make a difference in who I am as a learner or, or how I've been graded in the past? So as districts started to really um, problem solve some of those pieces, um, I grew into that bigger idea of this really is a systems change. Uh, it isn't just a change at high school level, but what is connected to this work? and. My learning um, became one that said, I think we're, we're growing out or evolving out of the traditional pillars in education, curriculum, instruction, assessment, and grading. Um, the industrial model of education, and especially uh, what's been going on in our classrooms uh, in the No Child Left Behind era, has really uh, reinforced the, um, the one-size-fits-all classroom. Uh, We've pushed in with differentiation in a lot of different ways, and teachers have great difficulty trying to differentiate to meet kids where they are given the way we structure school. So now that's another piece we have to look like. How would we structure school so that uh, kids would learn and not move forward in their learning until we're sure that they've met uh, a proficiency um, demonstration. So the more we got into it, the more and more um, I processed the notion that the architecture of school is different. Mm-hmm. Okay, now bring on technology. And that's even a, a, a you know, that we, we call it the disruptive factor in education. I think it has been, but I wish it would might be more disruptive than it is, uh, because we could use it. I think we, we could really look to um, technology and use it in uh, far better ways in our classrooms to have kids move along their own learning pathways. Which doesn't mean to say, that all of their learning is online. Um, I, I, you know, I do, do believe in that hybrid model where kids are engaging with, with adults who know them well um, and who guide them in a lot of different ways beyond the content delivery part. Mm-hmm. So, so that's really how my thinking started uh, uh, to emerge around um, helping teachers do this work, helping leaders lead this work. And that led me to saying, I think I really need to write about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've done a, you know, I've done quite a bit of blog writing and that type of thing, uh, for Competency Works and and several other um, sources. Uh, but I, I, it was just moving into a bigger piece. Then, and we don't we don't have enough out there mm-hmm. for teachers and leaders to to help and guide their work. So I felt a book would inform the work in the field. Mm-hmm. So it really is com- comes out of a very pragmatic and common sense. I roll up my sleeves, I work with teachers, I work with leaders, and um, I pull that all together into this is what competency education looks like now. I hope it's going to look different five or 10 years from now and and we'll have more books on it that will help uh, people as they're doing this work to move their schools forward.
2: So let's start at the beginning of the book. In Chapter 1, you talk about envisioning a new graduate. And um, Randy and I led our district to develop a profile of a graduate that reflects some of your ideas. So we were able to make some connections. Isn't that a great process? It is a great process. And we're proud of the work our community has done. Yeah. And that has to really
3: be the the North Star in all this. Mm -hmm. Um, I think teachers tend to solve problems in very uh, teacher ways and teacher thinking. Um, you know, I've seen mission statements up on walls, and I'm like, I know who wrote that, you know, but if we were to bring in a lot of parents um, who really have the vested interest in their mm-hmm. kids over the 12 years of school or however long it takes, I think that that statement on the wall would look a little bit different. So, uh, so I, I, I think as we look, and the notion of, of uh, having education look at, um, I always say, what does it take to get a handshake at graduation? You know, when you ask parents that, all right, and you say, or community members, and say, who is that graduate? You know, what is that graduate walking off the stage with? They'll give you all you know, these um, great descriptors of the qualifications or the characteristics, none of which happen to be the grades they got in an mm-hmm. English course or a science course, all right? Mm-hmm. So as you develop the profile of the graduate, Um, And I challenge parent groups when I work with them, I'll say, how do you know that what you've just talked about is what your child is walking off that stage with? And they'll say, well, we have great education going on in our school. I said, that's not my question. My question is, how can you be guaranteed as a parent that your child has um, has learned, okay, all of the, these things we've talked about, the critical thinking pieces, the, the uh, self-advocacy and, and um, uh, the ability to be self-directed as a learner, to be able to engage uh, independently in new learning and new tasks. I said, when, when was the last time the school actually communicated that to you? And they look and they say, yeah, hmm. you know what? You're right. So, so that opens up the conversation to saying, well, not to say that what's been going on is inferior or bad, it's just we need to think differently about what we communicate about learning, what we actually teach kids as part of their learning experiences and what we assess them on and, and what we communicate. So we know from our research Um, and, you know, I usually refer to David Conley's research and Karen Hess's uh, research on what college and career readiness actually is, and it's a set of skills that's both on the academic competency side of things as well as those what I refer to as personal success skills. Um, Those are the things that parents really identify with far better than saying 21st century skills and uh, uh, dispositions, and parents don't know what that is you know we've not really defined those and we throw those terms around but if you say what does it take for your kid to be successful they can tell you what it is Mm -hmm. all right and so so I've I've gone to that uh, particular label around those those pieces but competency education really says you know how how do we teach it how do we how do we integrate that into day-to-day teaching how do we have the student engage with their own mindfulness about this, their metacognition? Um, How do they understand who they are as learners and how they grow as learners? And then how do we keep track of all that, right? So that it's kind of a continuous uh, process of, um, you know, people involved in in a a child's schooling K through 12, but always being aware. I look at it kind of like a dashboard. What does that dashboard look like, you know, of learning for a student?
1: so So when um, you said metacognition um, i was going back to what was going through my head earlier and what you were saying and that is that even as adults and our students as well we approach school and education with certain mindsets of which we are oftentimes not even conscious of so when you mentioned about asking those parents about whether that graduate who's walking across the stage actually has those things that they value Right. they, they kind of go, oh, I'm not so sure of that, because I'm not so sure we've been given the evidence of that. Right. Um, That's so exactly it's it. it's this idea, and I think competency-based education is part of that shift. It's how do we get us as educators and parents and community to start to rethink our mindsets and really mm-hmm. be metacognitive about what do we believe about our education system, about schooling, right. about learning? And, and I think if we, when we do that, we'll uncover a lot of new learning and a lot of um, bad assumptions, I guess you could say, or things that, that we right. assume that aren't necessarily real.
3: Right. And I, and I think um, as parents understand it on different levels, right? They understand what, what you just explained. They would understand that okay but they're faced with a system that says my child has to have a great gpa to get into the college of their choice so the system has to stay the same right so and and actually you know the university pictures on on competency-based education is changing also. So I think there's some big system shifts here, um, both uh, uh, in K-12 schooling as well as, as higher education. And uh, we, I think as leaders in our schools and in our districts, need to be uh, talking to parents about this. You know, you, you, just because you're you're pushing a your child to get good grades, but is it okay? But it just if they graduate, you know, the top of their class, it doesn't mean they're going to be more successful in life. Those aren't the characteristics that make them successful, but let's talk about what will make them successful regardless of a GPA. And hard conversations to entertain, but I think we've reached a point in time where we need to, to talk to parents that way and to, and to talk to teachers also, mm-hmm. you know? Um, because although they, a lot of teachers know this, you know, and they, especially if they have their own children or family members, they still have to enter grades in a traditional manner in, in a grade book, you know? Uh, so there's, there's some real deep um, upheavals, I think, in professional mm-hmm. thinking around a lot of this. Mm-hmm. So
2: So let's talk a little bit more about that. In in your book, you mention um, many of our traditional structures look different in in competency-based education. Mm -hmm. And you talk about learning pathways and grading. Um, You shared a couple of other ideas with us. Why is it so important for us to shift these practices? Um, And and maybe what are some of the challenges associated with that? Having those tough conversations.
3: I'd answer that that with the question and say, why shouldn't we shift them? Mm -hmm. Why do we have to hold on to the old if the old no longer fits? What we're trying to do in our in our schools, um, and and I think that's that was the lesson of of differentiation to me, was you know if if a teacher is challenged with twenty um, students in their class that they know they can't meet their individual needs, then why are they in the same class together learning? Mm-hmm. Okay. Whereas the professional response is well I can't do it because I don't have enough resources, and I look at it it's like you need a little bit of an out of the box thinking on that to say well why are the kids you need to have in front of you? And, and how long do you need to have them in front of you for them to learn something? But we have to hold them accountable as we hold ourselves accountable as, as teachers that what we teach is so valuable that they need to learn it. Mm-hmm. We just can't let them go through it without learning it and move them on to the next piece. Uh, because if they haven't learned it the proficiency, they're not going remem- to remember or even be able to use it later on. So it's kind of like a house of cards. Why do we keep doing this when we know, in fact, that if they, there's gaps in their learning or they haven't learned it, that they're going to engage with it and be successful, uh, you know, down the line when the learning is more complex? Mm-hmm. So we, we have to stop and really wonder kind of the foolishness of some of the assumptions that we have about our current curriculum because it's not working for kids. And I'm not saying it's not working for all of the kids all the time. It's working for some of the kids right. all at the time, some of the kids some of the time, and some of the kids none of the time. And we have to do better. Uh-huh.
1: So let's pivot this conversation towards leadership. Um, Lynn right. and I have another podcast, which we call Shift, the, Shift Your Paradigm, and we're focusing mm-hmm. on leadership in a learner-centered environment. So, in a competency base, which is you know very learner centered, right. what would you say leadership should look like? What distinguishes it from traditional school leadership and what many educators have gone to college to learn? Mm.
3: Yeah, I, um, boy that's that's a great question. Um, I can only speak from my experience with um, many fine fine school leaders who've really been successful. In doing this work of systemic change, okay, and I, I think again we have to draw from the expertise in our field. You know, I want to I want to be able to to say our school leaders are really familiar with with mindset work by Carol Dweck and Michael Fullan's work on leadership and Tony Wagner's work, and and so they have to first off be informed, right? Um, they have to know the best minds in our field. We have to have to know what our our current um, education science is on this. And then I think they really need to see this as an imperative for them to do the work that teachers can't do to enable the work that teachers can do. So one issue is time, okay? Time is both a resource and it's also probably one of the the pieces that we have the least control over. Um, You know, you have only a certain number of days that teachers work, certain number of days that kids go to school and that's the limiting factor. So I think to me, The most successful change I've seen in moving toward competency education forward, and I'd say in a five to eight year span of time, have been those principals who put their trust in their teachers, who give them time to work, give them um, not a top down, uh, this is how you're going to do what you're going to do in the time that we're going to do it, but engage the teachers in saying, this is the direction we're going what do we need to do this work? How can we make best use of our professional learning time to engage ourselves around our student work to help inform our practices? And how can you best prototype new strategies in your classroom on a day-to-day basis? Uh, So I think that's one huge piece to this. The other piece to the leadership uh, question I think is really moving um, teachers to an understanding that competency education is about performance. Okay. It isn't about taking the low-level uh, uh, test questions as a measure of proficiency, but um, really uh, engaging faculty around depth of knowledge, around what good application looks like, um, trying to have teachers work together to develop maybe some good projects that are you know, a better, maybe a better quality than, than projects that are going on right now. I think really engaging and moving toward that personalization piece where the there's, there is that move from the teacher directed into the student centered to eventually the student driven learning that really epitomizes personalized learning. Mm-hmm. So. And with that, that's where you start getting the blending of technology into that. Because teachers realize, oh, this this could really help me do this, help me do that. And now they know how to use the technology, not just what application to use, mm-hmm. you know, for a content area. So
1: so one of the connections I made when you said leaders need to be informed is a connection to this idea of curiosity. And, oh, you yeah. know, I think as leaders, we have to remain curious as to how do we improve the system and not just improve it within that school-centered framework that we're so comfortable working in, but how do we become curious about looking right. with, looking to the edges and what are the things that are happening out there in more progressive education, right. like competency-based education, reading right. books like what you've created, reading or listening to podcasts and things like that, but being mm-hmm. curious about learning more about yeah. this change.
3: Yeah. But there, there's there's a, a bit of a difference here that's, that's, that's happening, though. I want you to think about the professional culture, right? Professional culture in traditional schooling is all about a top-down hierarchical model where a principal dictates to teachers how they're going to do things, what they expect them to do, when they're going to do it, right? And we have, you know, teachers who sit back and wait for their principals to tell them. They're not ready to take a risk to do something that might you know, not be what the principal wants them to do. Whereas this, you know, we're moving to, to embracing the teachers' professional, um, professional learning themselves, what they know as professionals, what they know about teaching in that classroom every day, and then engaging them around their, their own professional learning um, to to move that forward. So they they can't look to the principal and say, "How do I do this?" You know, I, the best leaders that I've worked with, they they you know, we we get together and we talk and, we, and say, they'd say, I don't know how to do this. How how, sh- how can I ever be in a position to tell teachers, this is the way you have to do it, right? Um, and the Sanborn School District, we, we actually, in working with them and I've been working with them for over 10 years now, um, it's been, you know, they suspended their evaluation model because they felt mm-hmm. teachers weren't ready and willing enough to take the risks because they thought it would, they get dinged on their evaluations, mm-hmm. right? teacher said, no, you're doing good work. Why would we do that? We're not going to do that this year. We want you to use this year to learn and explore things. And you tell us what would make a better evaluation system for that. But Mm -hmm. that's courage to lead, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And that's the courage that a superintendent says, listen, we we don't need an evaluation system to tell us if a teacher should be non-renewed. We'll deal with that with the teacher. We want you to grow. Mm -hmm. So it's really an asset-based, building assets around all of these different pieces of professional culture that really moves the work forward. And it sustains the work beyond the time that any person in the district who started it and Mm -hmm. pushed it, Mm -hmm. because that's what happens. Mm -hmm. That's that's real life.
2: Well, thank you so much for sharing your book and your ideas related to competency, education. Um, lots for us to think about and apply in our own district. We appreciate mm. that. You're so, welcome. So what's next for you, Rose? What are you working on that you'd like to share? Oh, I'm just really trying to uh, to um,
3: help people do this work, to mm-hmm. continue this work. Um, and I, I do work in, in several different states with lots of different teachers and, and leadership groups, and especially working on the design end of things with two revolutions, actually sitting down, creating the, the portrait of the graduate, for example, and, and trying to look at the barriers to the work and what prototyping looks like. So there's a lot of design parts to this. I have a curiosity, though. Um, I have a curiosity around, uh, I did have done quite a lot of work around uh, millennial learning. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've also looked at, uh, you know, the millennial workplace, which is very much at play right now. Mm -hmm. But if you think about it right now, our millennials are actually at the end of high school and in college. We have a new generation sitting in Mm -hmm. front of us. And uh, the uh, Pew Research Group does quite a lot in millennial research. And uh, something really fascinated me. What fascinated me is today in our schools. Over 51% of our parents are millennials. That staggered me Mm. because I think millennials do want something different for the education of these kids. These are the kids that grew up in the no-child-left-behind era that were bored with school. Mm -hmm. Uh, and we see that in the da- the data sifts through. You know, we don't have as many boys that that apply and attend college. We have more girls that finish college than boys. Um, we have uh, a whole issue of of uh, engagement of boys around um, around traditional schooling, a higher dropout rate. So the, I'm starting to put things together, saying, "Oh, I wonder if we tapped into what millennial parents want for mm-hmm. the portrait of their graduate and create and not ask high school parents." Mm-hmm. Okay. They want their school system changed. But ask those early elementary mm-hmm. parents mm-hmm. to say, let's build this system together. I, I think it would add a great deal of momentum to the work. Um, and then I want to start, again, a little bit more research and putting things together to find out if we can piece together some of the things that have fallen out as areas of concern around, around school today.
2: Well, thank you so much for joining us, Rose, and for our listeners to learn more about Rose's work, visit uh, some resources in the show notes, competencyed.com. Also, you can check out Off the Clock, Moving Education from Time to Competency, and Competency-Based Education, a New Architecture for K-12 Schooling.
1: Each episode, we leave you with a question to think about, and this one focuses on mindsets. How has today's conversation shifted your thinking about competency-based education? If you've enjoyed this episode, would like to comment or check out the resources that Rose has shared, visit tltalkradio.org and look at season four, episode 24. That's all for this episode. We'll be back soon with more conversations featuring other innovative thought leaders. Thanks again, Rose.
2: Thanks, Rose. Bye-bye. Thank you.